Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast and Happy New Year, bosses. I'm so thrilled to be on this adventure with y'all in the new year and the new decade that is before us. Now, on today's episode, I'm interviewing a fierce finance friend of mine, Melanie Lockert, who is a personal finance writer and a really just wonderful and genuine human being who I had the pleasure of being connected to by another member of our like money-focused gal pal group here at Bossed Up, Maggie Germano, who you've heard here on the podcast before, who has a great podcast herself called Money Circle. And Maggie introduced me to Melanie last fall when we were looking for a finance speaker in LA to feature at Bossed Up Bootcamp. And I had the pleasure of getting to know her at Bossed Up Bootcamp and just had to have her on the podcast to share her incredible story with you especially after looking over the survey results from our community survey we did at the end of 2019, I couldn't help but notice that 66% of us said that better managing our finances was one of our top priorities for the year ahead. So that is something that we here at Bossed Up want to help you do more of. I want to help you hold yourself accountable to achieving all kinds of goals through all of our different programs, but especially here on the podcast, just informing you on how to do that in a way that feels sustainable and manageable and isn't going to stress you out. And frankly, one of the things I love about Melanie's approach, which you'll hear in today's conversation, is the compassion and the empathy she brings to this topic and knowing that it's much more about money. It's also about mental health. So here's a little bit about Melanie. She's the founder of the blog and the author of the book called Dear Debt. Through her blog, she chronicled her journey out of $81,000 in student loan debt. She's also the co-founder of the Lola Retreat, which helps bold women face their fears, own their dreams, and figure out a plan to be in control of them. She's passionate about empowering women, helping others get out of debt, and she focuses on the intersection of debt and mental health. Every September, she organizes a suicide prevention awareness blog tour to help share resources for those struggling with debt and suicide. You can find her at DearDebt.com and at Melanie Lockert and all kinds of social media. Melanie, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so, so thrilled. Kirby and I knew we had to have you on this podcast after getting to hang out with you last quarter in Los Angeles at our final Boss Up Bootcamp of 2019. Thanks again for joining us as our featured finance trainer there. It was delightful to hear from you. Of course. It was so much fun. You have such a great event and so many wonderful ladies. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts of getting to hang with you in person was getting a gorgeous copy of your book, Dear Debt, a story about breaking up with debt, which I am so excited to dive into today. Congratulations, first of all, on this achievement. Oh, thank you. 
How did you end up writing a book, basically Dear Debt? I just love the whole concept. How did you come up with that? Yeah, it's actually quite a long story that is behind the book. So I'll try to keep it short. But all of this to say, you know, I put out $81,000 in student loan debt, $23,000 from my undergrad, $58,000 from my master's degree, which I got from NYU. And, you know, like a lot of people, I was told to go to great schools, work hard, do well, get a job, and everything will work out. And that was kind of the dream that millennials were sold. And so, I just kept taking off all this debt and feeling like, oh, I'll pay back eventually. It doesn't bother me. And then I graduated from NYU in May 2011, and I couldn't find a full-time job. And you know, six months after graduation, I felt like I had to move. And it felt like debt was starting to affect my life choices. You know, And, and when you feel like debt is making the decision for you... <laughs> You know, I had moved to Portland, Oregon after I realized I couldn't afford to live in New York anymore. And I myself was overcome with anxiety and depression every single day for about a year and just feeling stuck and hopeless. And, you know, you feel like you make this really great decision, like I'm going to go to this fancy private school and get this degree and work really hard. And then to not get the results, not even close that you were expecting can be really humbling and you know, there's a lot of guilt and shame and anxiety. And I just felt like, how am I ever going to pay this back? And so by the end of 2012, I realized something had to change. And in January, 2013, you know, kind of my new fresh start to that year, I said, I'm going to start a blog called Dear Debt. The whole concept is, you know, write these Dear John letters, the breakup letters to debt and really focus yeah. on the emotional aspect towards debt, Right. Because no one was talking about this, you know, in personal finance then. And I right. thought, how come no one's talking about the emotional relationship to debt? No one's talking about the mental health aspects that I've so clearly seen in my own life. And yeah, that's how Dear Debt was born. Can you tell me a little bit more about that emotional relationship to debt? What do you mean by that? And how do you see it manifest in other people's lives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we all have an emotional relationship to money and debt. And so, you know, kind of the way we were raised with our family, the friends we hung out with, ingrained beliefs that we've kind of been conditioned to believe. I always believed that I should never borrow money. I should always pay people back. I thought money was evil. You know, I had all of these kind of conditioned money beliefs that I didn't even realize I had, which created this emotional relationship to debt. You know, I felt like I conflated my self-worth with my net worth. So I had $70,000 in debt when I moved to Portland and I just felt completely useless and worthless. And, you know, in our society, we put so much value on how much money we have, the type of job we have, the job title we have, and all of these things that we can show people with our car and our clothes and everything. And I just felt like I was a full-fledged adult with a master's degree and nothing to show for it. And, mm. you know, I think that can definitely affect your your mental health. And, you know, the way I see it manifest in other people, I think there's a lot of anxiety and depression around money that people aren't talking about. And it's because it just feels so taboo. Like money is already taboo to talk about, but then to talk about that, oh, hey, my dad is making me depressed. And, you know, kind of related to your other question about how I even got into this kind of space about money and mental health is, you know, as I started my blog and sharing my own journey with money and mental health and how depressed my debt was making, I realized that someone had Googled, I want to kill myself because of debt. 
and found my blog. And I was so devastated when I found that out because I thought, wow, someone is going to Google. And this is pretty much a call for help. Clearly, if they're Googling, I want to kill myself because of debt. And, And they're finding my blog. And so I felt such a sense of responsibility. Yeah, no, you read my mind. That's exactly what I was thinking you might say. Because <laughs> as a writer, you really never know who's coming to you for what. But in this case, I mean, what kind of tone did that leave you with from your perspective as this blogger who's just trying to find her own way out of debt? Yeah, totally. I mean, once I saw that in my Google Analytics and the search terms, I just felt like someone had punched me in my stomach. I was just felt overwhelmed with responsibility and anxiety for this person and and deep empathy and compassion. And, you know, even though debt had made me severely depressed, it was never quite to that level, but I knew that I had to talk to that person and just, you know, I also have, you know, suicide is a very personal thing for me. My grandfather and my mom's side died by suicide. So I never got to meet him. I had a cousin die the same way. So I have already familiarity with this particular topic. It's very personal to me. It's something that I'm very passionate about talking about. And so to have this kind of manifest itself in this way, I felt, how can I talk to this person? How can I reach this person? And so my content started to shift and I wrote a post called Please Seek Help. And I wrote it as if I were talking to that person. And I said, you you are not your debt. You're not alone. There are resources out there. And then sure enough, because the way content works on the internet, I wrote about it once and then I kept getting more and more and more traffic. And so literally for the past five years, every single week I get someone emailing me saying they're severely depressed, suicidal about debt. I mean, it is wild and amazing some of the things that people email me and they just think I'm a stranger on the internet. Half of them are like, I didn't think you were real. I didn't think you were going to respond. I'm like, no, I'm a real person and I am going to respond because if you're Googling this or if you're emailing me, it seems like this is a cry for help. And I want to at least do my part to try to lead you to the resources to get help. It's such an important reminder that when we're talking about financial well-being, this is not a trite topic. I think sometimes our generation, the millennials, uh, get a bad rap, get called entitled, get a bunch of different stereotypes levied our way. Mm -hmm. And people often forget just how financially set back our generation is on average compared to generations prior at our same age range, right? As we are right now. So if you are finding yourself relating to what is being said on this podcast right now, first and foremost, I'm going to link to that post of yours, Melanie, in today's show notes, the please seek help post. And Mm -hmm. I want to make sure everyone has the um, national suicide prevention hotline right now or prevention lifeline. If that's where you're feeling, you should call that right now, which is 1-800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. And yeah, it's just a good reminder that this is not like... Yay, Susie Orman, personal finance, get your shit together, money talk. Like Mm -hmm. money has real consequences in our lives. And I've seen it. I've seen this sort of circular hole it can dig people into without naming names. Certain members of my family are like, yeah, we could all use therapy, couldn't we? But who can afford that? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling lack of seeking support. So what would you say to someone who writes in saying, I know I need help? I can't afford help in our, in our country. 
Yeah. And I think that's such a valid concern. And just to kind of address some of the things that you were talking about, you know, our generation, the income has not kept up with inflation at all whatsoever. So, you know, there are definitely systemic issues that are holding us back that other generations have not had to deal with. And that has a real impact to people's mental health. And as you said, everyone's situation is completely different and completely nuanced. And that's actually one of my big frustrations with personal finance media. And I work in personal finance media is that we can only really give generalized tips, but everyone's situation is so different, you know? And so, you know, if someone says, I need help, but I can't afford it. First of all, I was exactly in your shoes in 2012. And that's kind of the depressing part is you're like, okay, I'm depressed about my debt, but I can't afford to get help because I'm depressed about my debt, trying to pay off my debt. What do I do? (laughs) And so I was lucky enough to hear from a friend that the local college, Portland State University, had counseling sessions for $15 a session. And these are pretty much graduate counseling students who are like one semester away from graduating. They just need to get some counseling hours before graduation so they can offer that at a significantly lower cost. I was actually on food stamps at this time and was able to negotiate that rate down to $5 a session. So pretty much I was paying $20 a month for weekly therapy. And that was really, really helpful for me because I needed a perspective shift desperately. I needed to get away from you know this feeling that I was just wrapped up in my debt and that I just kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. And you know through counseling, I was kind of able to untangle my thoughts and see more clearly. There's also Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step program. A lot of people don't know about this. I've never personally been, and even if I did, I wouldn't necessarily be able to talk about it because it's anonymous, but there is a 12-step program (laughs) called Debtors Anonymous if you so choose and want to seek out that resource. And I have my current therapist who I found on Open Path Collective, and they have low-cost, quote, low-cost therapy sessions between $30 and $80 a session, and I put that in, you know, quotes because that's not low cost for some people, but compared to out of pocket, which easily could be $150 to $300 an hour, $30 to $80 is more reasonable. Right, right. So I definitely recommend Open Path Collective. I definitely recommend looking into local counseling schools to see if anyone has clinic hours that you can talk to. Um, If you're religious in any way, if there's someone in your community or at your church that you can talk to, um, if you have a friend that you can talk to and that you really trust, that's always a great way to reach out. You know, the point is, is to reach out. I think a lot of us feel so alone, like, oh, I can't talk to anybody about this. And that's kind of the biggest mistake is feeling like we can't do that. And a service that I recommend as well is the crisis text line. So you can text home to 741-741 and you will reach a crisis counselor over text And I've used their service once and it was extremely helpful because when you're feeling like you're in this manic energy that won't go away and you feel like really horrible and you don't know what to do with it, being able to kind of get talked down and back into calmness and it's just, you know, a really wonderful resource. And I've referred several people there who have reached out to me and they've said it's also helped. And the thing I like about the crisis text line is that it can be for anyone in crisis. So, you know, a lot of people feel like, oh, I have to be suicidal to get help, which isn't true. 
you know, you don't have to be wanting to end sure. your life sure. to, to get help. And that's what I like about the crisis text line. And I also like that it's over text because if you're really upset and you're like ugly crying, snot crying, right. like hysterical crying, you're like, even if I was, <laughs> were to talk to somebody right now, they wouldn't understand me. So being able to text is, is great. That's so a good point. I highly recommend crisis tech line. Yeah, I love that. Anything that lowers the barrier is so helpful because, you know, just as a reminder, I've said this on this podcast before, seeking out mental health support or even just reaching out when you're feeling like totally in a dark place is in many ways um, a hard barrier to overcome. It's like climbing over a wall to get to the other Mm -hmm. side when all you really want is someone to throw you a lifeline. So keep in mind that there is that initial initiation effort required. Mm -hmm. And if texting is easier, by all means, text. Um, Whatever you need to do to get help, do it. Make yourself a priority. It's the new year. It's time to be good to yourself. It's time to be good to you. And sometimes that means, you know, recognizing that asking for help is in fact, a form of making progress. So don't feel like it's a form of defeat. It's a form of moving forward. So tell us a little bit more, Melanie, about, I love your focus on mental health and how it relates to to financial health, but tell us a little bit more about how on earth you (laughs) managed to get over 80K in debt slayed and over what kind of period of time? Because I know your book talks a lot about your side hustles and negotiation and lots of great tactics, but my goodness, how did you make this happen? Totally. So the unsexy version of the story is that I paid off $81,000 in nine and a half years. Um, The sexy story is I paid off $68,000 in four and a half years. So the reason that kind of timeline exists is because I got my undergrad in 2006 I then worked full-time for three years, and then I got my master's for another year. And for that whole kind of like five-year period, I was just paying the minimum on my undergrad loans. I just treated it like a bill, didn't think it was that important. And then I graduated from NYU after taking out significantly more debt, and I realized, oh man, I've been paying my loans for five years, and now I still have 68000 left. And like I said, I hadn't really considered my student loan debt at all until graduating from NYU because the number was so much higher and the stakes were so much bigger. And like I said, it started to affect my life decisions. I felt like I couldn't live in New York anymore. And so that's when I really got serious about debt. I was kind of coasting with my debt, didn't really even consider it, just was like, ah, it's a bill for five years. And then once I graduated, you know, I really was like, I have to get this gone ASAP. And so I paid off the $68,000 in four and a half years. And I honestly didn't think it was going to be possible because like I said, when I moved to Portland, you know, I was making 10 to $12 an hour with these temp jobs. I was on food stamps. When I started my blog, Dear Debt, I was at one of the $12 an hour temp jobs, still didn't have a full-time job. And I remember my very first post, which you can see to this day, and it's so awkward and weird, but I keep it up there because it's like, hey, look how far I've come. (laughs) Um, You know, I say that I want to become debt-free in four years. And I said, I don't know how in the world it's going to happen because I'm making $12 an hour, but I need this debt to be gone in four years. And the way the world works, it happened in three. And so many different weird things happened to get there. So first of all, you know, I started the blog, which is 
a really great accountability tool for me because every single month I would post my debt repayment progress. I would tell everyone about my side hustles that I was doing. I was doing all of these crazy side hustles. My main one was being a brand ambassador. So if you've ever been to a concert or a sporting event where people are giving away free coupons or free shirts or free swag, that's a brand ambassador. That was my main side hustle. And then I also worked at a Jewish congregation as a event assistant. And actually, this is funny. I'm not Jewish. And they were like, great. It's not a conflict of interest for you to work here then for the holidays. And I was like, perfect. So you, you can kind of think outside of the box with, with side hustles. You know, they didn't want to work with someone that was Jewish because they wanted the people who are Jewish to celebrate the holidays. And I was like, well, there's no conflict of interest for me. And not be working on them. Yeah. So I'll work. And so that was kind of an interesting little hack. It's great. It was such a great gig too, because there were so many leftovers and so many great, you know, things to eat and lots of wine leftover, which helped my <laughs> my like budgeting for my food. So definitely I recommend catering because you get food and money. <laughs> I was also a pet sitter. That is so funny. I remember when I was an intern working in political internships in Washington, D.C., there were blogs that we would all share that literally had weekly roundups of which events you could go to for free and get a little bit of wine and yes. cheese out so that you didn't have to buy a real meal. And it's it's a sad state of affairs sometimes, but hey, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Any job that helps uh, check two boxes at the same time is always great. Yeah, totally. And I also got some free clothes being a brand ambassador. Probably the, the best gig I got was being a Columbia sportswear brand ambassador. And so I got some free jackets and free boots, Ooh, which yeah. really helped in the Portland weather. And like I said, the catering assistant um, really helped with the food and wine and, and money. And so I was doing all of these random side hustles, pretty much anything that anybody would pay me to do. And then I realized that you know, my friends who are bloggers were making money as a freelance writer. And I thought, you know, I have a master's degree. I can at least write at a basic level. I think I can do that. And I would love to be at home writing and not, you know, going here, there and everywhere and doing all these random crazy things. And so I started pitching other bloggers. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I found my first writing gig. And then it was interesting because right at about that time, I finally found my first um, full-time job after graduation. It took me two full years to find a full-time job. And I was working as an events and communications coordinator, making $31,000 in Portland. And so, you know, I finally found this job. Can I just ask, why do you think that is? Why do you think that took you so long? And I know the economy was pretty whack at that time, but with your master's degree, you know, two years to get to 31,000 in salary. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that was the way it was? Like I said, the recession was still kind of looming. I think Portland's a smaller market and I was really hoping to get something kind of yeah. in the arts nonprofit sector. And I realized it just was not going to happen. And then I'll be totally truthful. You know, I had several stints with this study abroad nonprofit, which was part of the temp job it was like a six month contract and part of me was just like, I'm so tired of looking right now. Like, I'm just going to coast through these six months and get yeah. through this thing. And so part of it was like malaise and depression and feeling like, well, at least my next six months are covered. Yeah. And so, you know, I definitely had to take some breaks because it's really exhausting looking for a job, applying for a job, especially even if you have a temp job or even if you don't have anything going on, it's a lot of work to do that. And so I think it was a combination of things. 
It's similar in some ways to slaying debt, right? You talk about, in your writing, you talk a lot about debt fatigue, Mm -hmm. which I think is related in some ways to job search fatigue. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what you advise for folks who are feeling that kind of fatigue? Yeah, totally. So debt fatigue is this feeling that you have so much debt, you're finally making progress, but once you kind of hit the middle portion of the repayment, you're like, oh my gosh, I still have so much left to do and left to go. Like I'm already making several hundred dollar payments or even four figure payments, and this is going to happen for years. And so, you know, I had finally found that full-time nonprofit job, but I had also kept my side hustles and I was building up my freelance writing clients on the side, which was great. And I kept making these huge payments, you know, starting at $1,000 and then $2,000 for context. I think context is super important. I was sharing a studio apartment with my then partner making um, $400 for payments and rent just for um, some context. I didn't have a car at the time and I pretty much walked and biked everywhere. (laughs) So that was kind of, you know, the base financial line that I was working with. So, you know, debt fatigue is this feeling that you know, you're so overwhelmed with paying off your debt and you still have so far to go. And so I created a system to try to overcome debt fatigue and started creating a reward system. So for every thousand dollars I paid off, I would, you know, go to a happy hour for every 5,000. I would maybe get a cheapy massage from the local beauty school. And unfortunately, (laughs) slash fortunately, a reward system worked for me to keep me going. And additionally, I had this thing called a debt-free dream list, which was all of the things that I was going to do once I was debt-free. Because obviously getting out of debt requires a lot of sacrifice and you can't continue to live the way you've always lived if you want a different result, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of my friends were getting married and having kids and getting pets and buying homes. And I was living like I was 20 years old and super broke. And so, I just thought, I'm going to move back to LA. I'm going to take my mom to Italy. I'm going to get cats. And these were all these things on my debt-free dream list. And so I just kept reconnecting to that, which was my why. Right. You know, like this is why I'm getting out of debt. I think it's super important for everyone to really connect to their why with, with any kind of financial goal because- I would take it a step further and just say for any goal, because all the psychological principles that you're tapping into are part of what help our community members strive for any kind of long-term goals. The idea here is that maintaining your motivation when the reward of achieving the goal is still months or years away can be really hard. So mm-hmm. uh, at the at the end of Boss Step Bootcamp, and for anyone who's using our annual planner, the Life Tracker Planner, we design this system, the Boss Step Life Tracker, to help you stay focused on your why every single month, if not every single week, and then use the power of small rewards to motivate yourself to make incremental progress even though it feels like it's such a slog when you're in that middle dip of motivation, you're only halfway there and you're mm-hmm. feeling fatigued. All those principles you're putting yeah. into place are so well backed by psychology and cognitive science. I'm so glad that they, I'm not surprised they worked for you, but I'm so glad you found them because they've worked for so many of, of our women in our community striving for any kind of goal. Oh, that's so great. I'm so glad you created something that could really help move that along. I love it. I love it. So kudos to you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And likewise, I mean, it's just great to see how people are applying the same science to different 
communities and different different goals that we're striving towards. I wonder what your advice would be for someone who says, like a lot of the women listening to this podcast who say, better managing my debt or better managing my money is one of my absolute top priorities in 2020. But I don't want to just flame mm-hmm. out in the New Year's resolutions nonsense, right? Because people set high lofty goals and then in like 18 days, they're all busted and broken. So what are some of the very first steps you would have people take who really want to set themselves up to make financial progress this year? The first step I would take is really take an evaluation of where you're currently at because that will be kind of the stability point from everything that you will you know, branch off from there. So for 30 days, definitely look at your spending. So, you know, look at your bank account, look at your credit card account, see where your money is actually going. I think a lot of us think we know where it's going, but we don't really know until we see all the transactions and we see the numbers and we're like, oh, I spend a lot of money eating out. Wow. Or wow, I spent that much on alcohol or wow, I spent that much on Starbucks. You know, it can be quite illuminating once you really look at the numbers. So first of all, check in with where you're at currently but absolutely do this with no judgment. You know, this is a really difficult part because it's Mm -hmm. quickly, um, you know, we can quickly start judging ourselves for what we've done and, you know, feel a lot of shame with our past decisions, but this is just to check in where you're currently at with no judgment. And the second thing is really create a plan of what you want to do. When do you want to get debt free and how are you going to get there? So if you want to become debt free in a year, take your debt, divide that by 12 months, how much do you have to put towards debt every month to make that happen, right? And if it's a completely ridiculous number, you can decide that you can't afford it and you're going to have to either add time to that or you're going to have to sacrifice a lot and be able to potentially side hustle more. You know, really there's only two ways to manage your money, either cut back or earn more. I'll have to say that earning more for me was what really helped me pay off debt because after a year of being at that nonprofit job, I was able to quit that job that I was so desperate to get and become self-employed as a freelance writer. And I was able to double my income pretty much overnight from 30 to 60,000. And so earning more really, really helped me, you know, conquer my debt. But obviously if you have a spending problem, that's not going to necessarily work. So really look at your root issues. Is it just debt? Is it income? Is it a spending problem? What are, what are the actual issues? Mm. And then create a plan, Mm -hmm. but also I think it's important to know what are your mental health triggers and what, what keeps you happy? Like I realized that side hustling seven days a week and getting no sleep made me so crabby and cranky. And so, you know, for a period of time, I slowed down my debt repayment a little bit because I was like, none of this is going to be worth it if I just like keel over and die or have a panic attack. (laughs) So be, be kind of realistic with what you need in your life. That is so important. I want to stop and just underscore that because this is what I call sustainable success. Setting yourself up with a plan with an accountability plan, with a realistic plan is so much more important than setting yourself up with this aspirational plan that's just going to end up making you feel like a failure from week one on. Because if you feel the shame Mm -hmm. or the guilt of not achieving these really high and lofty goals for yourself, you're going to be more likely to give up and just say, oh, well, I'll try again next year. 
And the idea here is to make a plan that's realistic and sustainable and doesn't burn yourself out. And that sometimes means giving yourself permission to rest. So I couldn't, I couldn't underscore totally. that enough. And I'm so glad to hear you mention that because nine years in retrospect is not, you know, you're like, wow, that's a huge achievement in a relatively short amount of time mm-hmm. or, or especially the four year, four and a half year period when you paid 60 K off. But mm-hmm. this is not a small drop in the bucket in terms of your, your years on this planet. Uh, so keeping yourself motivated and making sure you're not sacrificing too much to the point where you're martyring yourself. I talk about this in my book, um, the martyr mindset. It's this, this sensation that you have to suffer for success. That's not what mm-hmm. we're advising here. Yeah. And I'm really glad to hear yeah, you say we, that. Yeah, we don't need that. That, narr- that narrative is tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're all tired. Yeah, we're all tired. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like dieting. People go on these crash diets in the New Year's and they see results really quickly, but then they go back to eating junk and they're like, what happened? And kind of, you know, with quote dieting or healthy eating or finances, it's really about creating a lifestyle shift because from all the research I've done on quote dieting, healthy eating is that diets don't work, but lifestyle shifts, basically eating more fruits and vegetables and less junk those are the things that really work long-term and in in a sustainable way. And similar with your budget and debt repayment, be realistic. Like if you go to Starbucks seven days a week, don't suddenly say, oh, I'm never going to go to Starbucks again. Maybe start and say, okay, instead of seven days a week, I'm going to go to three days a week. And then after trying that, see if you can go down to maybe one a week, maybe. But you know, you can't just go from like, oh, I go to Starbucks every day and then like zero. And then like two months later, suddenly you're spending $300 at Starbucks every single day or, you know, going crazy. So I also want to ask about your debt-free bucket list, your dream list. And, And from my experience, I don't know if this was true for you, but I have had personally a profound financial shift in the last year. I think I mentioned this to you briefly at boot camp, whereby, and I, I've really talked about it very candidly on this podcast. I really like looked at and addressed some of my lifelong narratives about money that have been holding me back last year. And mm-hmm. I got on a financial plan with the help of my personal financial advisor, Chris Caruso, who's a member of the Bossed Up community. My husband, Brad the Boo, and I got on a new plan and made some swift progress. Last year, I paid off my student loans after 10 years um, of paying them slowly. Yes, yes thank you. <laughs> and what I have found since then is you know, having a newfound relationship with money, a new lifestyle shift around debt repayment made the progress after that moment so much swifter. You know what I mean? I feel like I spent a long mm-hmm. time, many years sort of spinning my wheels. And now in the past year, it's been leaps and bounds. So I'd be curious to hear, yeah. you know, did you experience any kind of a shift like that? And what does life look like on the other side for you? Did you did you take your mom to Italy? You know, did you get the cats or what, what, what does that look like for you? And what's in it for the rest of us who are still striving? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm super excited to say that everything that I wanted on my debt-free dream list happened. So six months after I paid off my debt, I moved back to Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. Cause I did not like Portland to be honest, but it was much more affordable to stay there. Like I said, I had $400 rent that I was splitting. So it made sense financially for me to stay there until I paid off my debt. 
And so I, you know, moved back to LA and like the higher rent didn't phase me as much because I wasn't deep in debt anymore. I did take my mom to Italy, which was super beautiful moment to be on the plane be like, I don't owe any debt. And, you know, I'm able to share this experience with my mom. She's never been to Europe before. Now we're going to go together. And then I do have two beautiful baby boys, Miles and Thelonious. <laughs> if you go on my Instagram, <laughs> you can definitely see pictures of them. They're the cutest. And it's just been so sweet and so powerful to know that I've worked so hard to get here. And talking about kind of your swift progress of paying off debt, paying off debt is a habit. You know, you pay off those monthly payments every month. And once you're debt-free, you really have to allot that money quickly to something else that will serve your present and your future, or else it could just go down the drain. And so, you know, I started to take that amount of money that I was putting towards debt. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put a little bit into savings here. I'm going to put a little bit into investments here. I'm going to actually start having more money in my entertainment budget because... I love arts and culture, and I really was kind of depriving myself of that for a while. And, you know, really using it in a way that would make myself happy, but also pay for my present and my future. I talk a lot about when you're paying off debt, you're paying for your past. And I think that's kind of why it feels so depressing because you're trying to live in the present and be in the moment or think about your cool, dope future. And you're like, but I have like this ball and chain stuck to the past like 10 years ago. What am I doing? And so once you're able to kind of saw off that ball and chain, you're like, I'm going to pay for the present. I'm going to pay for the future. And money can help insulate you against problems. It can give you opportunities. It can give you choices. I mean, it could just be a tool to help you live the life that you want instead of being forced to make decisions because you don't have any money. I could honestly just get lost in listening to you for the next two hours, as I'm sure my listeners could too. But tell us a little bit about Lola Retreat and where our listeners can catch up with you and learn more about about wealth building and wellness and slaying debt and, and being more like you. Yeah. So Lola Retreat is a women and money event that I started two years ago. And Each event has served around 60 women. We've done events in Portland, New York, Los Angeles, and Seattle. And it's really a full weekend of everything from budgeting to paying off debt to investing. We've also had some pretty niche panels on real estate investing or being single and pursuing fire, which is financially independence, retire early, or why the diet culture is making you broke. And so I really try to create (laughs) innovative content that can help women specifically and to really create the conversations that no one is really having and also create community. I have so many women who come to Lola and say, Oh, I feel like I can't talk to anybody about this. I found my people. And, you know, everyone's just talking about money because they've clearly bought in to this conversation. And so everyone's super excited and happy to share numbers and to be nerdy. And it's super great. So you can find that at lolaretreat.com. We're going to be having some brunches and dinners in 2020. And then the full retreat is coming back in 2021. And you can find me elsewhere at melanielockert.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at melanielockert as well. There's deardebt.com. And then I'm going to be launching mentalhealthandwealth.com very soon. Awesome. I love it. Well, we will drop links to all of those relevant places in today's show notes. Melanie, thank you so much for the work you're doing in this world, for sharing your story, uh, and for making it okay for all of us to talk about debt 
and talk about the impact it has on our mental well-being and and really moving forward with that plan for sustainable success, whether it's about money, well-being, or or work beyond all those things. So thank you so much. Thank you. Once again, if you want to learn more about Melanie and all the great resources she has, head to today's show notes at bossedup.org slash episode 190, or just head straight to deardebt.com. I mentioned at the top of the show that Melanie joined us as one of our featured speakers at Bossedup Bootcamp in the fall, and I'm thrilled to say that after taking about a month off to retool and refocus the Bossedup Bootcamp program altogether, We're thrilled to relaunch the program today with three exciting cities we'll be bringing Bossed Up Bootcamp to next. In 2020, we will be in San Francisco this March, a new city for us that we're so excited to finally come to. I know a lot of you have been demanding we bring Bossed Up Bootcamp to San Francisco. Then we're hosting one in my new neck of the woods where the whole Bossed Up team is based here in Denver, Colorado, and then back to the city where it all started, Washington, D.C. So head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp to see the newly relaunched Bossed Bootcamp program. Learn more about our focus on leadership development as it relates to managers too. We really want to help you become a better boss, become a more confident manager. Whether you're a first-time manager or have been managing for many years, our program is now less focused on career transition and more focused on leadership development for women in a still imperfect world. So I hope to see you in San Fran, Denver, or DC this year. Head to bossedup.org slash bootcamp to learn more. And now let's take a moment to celebrate this week's boss move of the week called in this week from Jamie in Arlington. Hi, Emily and Bossed Up listeners. It's Jamie from Arlington, Virginia. This week, I accepted a job offer after a six-month search following graduate school. I ended up turning down two offers in the process and passing on many other opportunities as I remained focused on what I wanted from a new position. I'm proud to say I also negotiated a higher salary and the flexibility to work remote. Thank you for all of your advice through this process. Jamie, hell yes, boss. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for calling this boss move in. What a powerful way to start the new year. Um, I have to give you some kudos for holding out for the right opportunity. It's not an easy thing to do, but if you can't afford to do it, you really should. It'll prevent you from feeling resentful for taking the wrong offer down the road. One way we're helping women do just what you did, Jamie, and negotiate a higher salary or better benefits like the flexibility to work from home, which you so clearly made a priority, uh, is hosting our negotiation live online workshop on January 22nd. So get all the details and reserve your spot today at bossedup.org slash negotiation live. Congrats, Jamie. I'm so, so proud of you. And speaking of our accountability community and ways that I'm helping more of our community members online, we just had our first January masterclass for everyone who ordered a Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner. And I want you to know that it's not too late. So if you've got big goals, you want to break down into actionable steps and join an online accountability community to help you make it happen, you can still order your Life Tracker Planner while supplies last. And then you'll gain instant access to the video replay of last Sunday's call. And you'll be immediately invited to the next two calls that we'll be hosting to really jumpstart your new year give you not only the tools, but the community to support you in actually achieving those big 
audacious goals all year long. So all those links are in the show notes. I know there's a lot I'm throwing at you. January is a busy time for Bossed Up. There's just a lot of ways in which we want to help you achieve your boldest, biggest ambitions for the new year. And I, I'm feeling the energy in our community right now. And it is so, so exciting. If I can ever be of service to you, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask. Um, and hopefully I'll see y'all on our Life Tracker community or on Negotiation Live coming up soon or at Bossed Up Bootcamp this year. Thanks so much for listening. As always, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll lift as we climb.